Okay, big announcement. You've probably heard us rave about one of our favorite products, Celsius, an amazing fitness drink with thermogenic properties. Wait, thermo what now? It has a special blend of ingredients that are clinically proven to boost your metabolism and help you burn fat. Basically, if you drink one of these babies before you work out, it helps burn more body fat than you normally would with just exercise alone. And not to mention, it tastes amazing and has no artificial flavors, preservatives, no high fructose corn syrup, and it's very low in sodium. But wait, I already knew all that. So what's your big news, Jean? They have a new flavor. Strawberry guava has hit the scene, y'all. This sweet, bubbly flavor is now available on Amazon and at many local gyms, too. Perfect timing to kickstart the new year. Big strawberry guava energy, and I am so here for it. Want in? You can purchase Celsius on vitaminshops.com, walmart.com, and at your local gym. Check out celsius.com to learn more and follow their community of driven athletes. I look at feeling powered by not necessarily what I do, but how I feel. Um, how do I want to feel when I walk into this office with these people, into this conference with these people? How do I want to feel? And, and, and sticking to that. And when it doesn't feel good, that's when it's time to pivot. That's when it's time to maybe make a transition. Welcome back to Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey, gang. (laughs) So, Jamie here. We are so honored to have today's guest sitting with us today. So, in light of all that's happened in the past year, it was so important to us that today, on Martin Luther King Day, of course, we took the time at Off the Gram to really reflect on how far we've come, the setbacks of the past year, and the inspiration and hope that exists in this moment as we look forward together. We're excited to speak today with Geneva S. Thomas. In her illustrious career as an award-winning journalist and media executive, Geneva has been able to offer her take on culture and issues for a range of media powerhouses. But is Geneva's work behind the scenes shaping some of the world's most authoritative brands like BBC America, InStyle, Food and Wine, W Magazine, and Architectural Digest that keeps her on the front lines of global culture? Geneva premiered her podcast series, Inside the Culture, in summer 2020, where she gives listeners insider news on pop culture, race, and gender in America. Most recently, Geneva was named the general manager at Meredith Corporation of Entertainment Weekly and People and Espanol, two of the most important and iconic consumer-facing entertainment giants. Geneva dedicates herself to causes related to women's empowerment and education, and in her later moments, she is a regular commentator for everything from style to culture to sex. But first and foremost, Geneva is a champion for women of color. In fact, in her role at Essence, she celebrated and elevated the lives of Black women in many ways, including closing a partnership with Apple News Plus that ensured the unique storytelling of the publication would be accelerated to billions of iPhones around the world, not to mention ensuring that for the first time in Apple's history, Essence became the first women's brand of color featured on the stage at the Apple event in the Steve Jobs Theater in Cupertino, California. That is a big deal. Welcome, Geneva. 
Hi, ladies. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. We are so excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. And Geneva, so we have a weekly catch up every week and it's Heidi here. (laughs) So it's always a topic that's on our mind or in the news cycle. And today's was a pretty obvious choice because it's been all over the internet and the media this week. And it seems to be a very polarizing topic right now. So the Kamala Harris Vogue cover. Let's talk. What do we think? I have lots of opinions, but Geneva, I really want to hear yours. Well, you know, um, I have to say, you know, my my instant reaction was I thought it was weird that they dropped it on a Sunday because for those of us who, you know, work in media, a cover reveal on a Sunday is just never um, it's never really what happens, right? It's Unless all- it was leaked, maybe. That's the thing, right? Because the only way I'd reveal something on a Sunday if there was some kind of a leak. Yeah, and that was what was reported, right? That, that it was not um, vetted. You know, it wasn't something that Kamala Harris's team approved, um, but they moved ahead and posted it on Vogue's Instagram. And what I know as a you know woman in media, as many of you can identify with, when you share something to Instagram, it's incredibly intentional, right? You There's a whole process and workflow around getting those assets approved. It's like all the email chain, the Slack chain. So, you know, Vogue's Instagram is like really precious, very serious revenue driving real estate. And so to share that, that was a very intentional thing. This wasn't like dropped on LinkedIn, dropped on Twitter by some random unknown user. It was on Vogue's Instagram on a Sunday, which was very weird. Of course, secondly, I, my gut reaction was just how underwhelmed I felt by it. Like, you know, Kamala Harris's moment is, it, it really informs such a broad and incredible and powerful shift for black women in America, for women of color in America, across the board, for women, period. Our first woman VP who happens to be black and Indian and a daughter of immigrants. I mean, this is such a powerful, historic, shape-shifting moment. And the coverages did not give you that. The creative direction, the styling, everything about it was just so tremendously underwhelming. And it read very lazy. Um, The photographer is a man of color, a black man, Tyler, who has shot... Beyonce's cover for Vogue, he has done some incredible, really beautiful covers. So it was kind of weird that a a photo that he, you know, you know, a cover that he was behind um, just wasn't more powerful, more strong. It just felt overall very lazy to me. Um, I'm a former Condé Nast girl, so I know what that institution is, is capable of. You know, Vogue is I mean, responsible for some of our our most powerful, beautiful images, you know, when we think about the whole history of photography and iconography in the past century, right? We know that Vogue, you know, is is, is largely responsible for a lot of those images that we've seen. And so I was just really, really tremendously underwhelmed and and even thinking about how they treated other um, powerful, you know, politicians or even first ladies like Michelle Obama's first Vogue cover. I still have that was amazing. Hillary Clinton's Vogue cover was amazing. You know, Oprah, other powerful women. And so, you know, I was just really uh, disappointed and felt that it was a very lazy uh, effort. Geneva, um, I, Christine here. I, I've been in media too for like 20 years. My husband's a photographer. So yeah. I saw that going through my feed. And as you know, we're trained to look visually at things and judge it. Right. And yeah. I automatically, same thing. I felt like it didn't get the respect it needed almost for that 
energy in that moment. But then I wondered, I still, I, I still don't like it. I'm not changing my mind, but I also thought back to some of the obstacles, you know, how hard a photo shoot is and all the obstacles, even if you're on the best day, the perfect conditions and everything, it go, it's still challenging. So knowing the three things that they had going against them, like she wanted to wear her own clothing and bring her own wardrobe. So that's right there. That's a little bit, eh but you got to work with that Two lighting color tone, you know, darker skin tones is a super difficult challenge regardless. But like you mentioned, the photographer has done this before. So, and has done it beautifully. And about the man of color himself. Yeah. Exactly. And then three the backdrops. I know they wanted to stick with the university colors and her sorority color with that pink drape was a nod to that, but still, even with those obstacles, I still think that they could have, I mean, that's their job. It's Vogue, like you said. It's a moment in history that I don't think, you know, we're ever going to be this excited about. This is amazing. And it should have felt that energy should have come jumping through that screen. And um, I just wonder, was it just overlooked? Was it, you know, is there something that we're missing that was behind the scenes? Was there some other controversy going on? So this is Heidi. And one of the counter arguments, and I'm with you, ladies, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. Let me just be clear. (laughs) One of the counter arguments was that, that, you know, Kamala Harris is so down to earth and accessible, and they wanted her to feel accessible and blah, blah, blah. But, and I, I hear that. But on the other hand, you know, there's a part of me that's like, okay, but you know, Geneva, to your point, she is not only the first woman vice president, she is the first woman vice president of color. And, you know, there's so many things. She is the first. And it. I don't like, yes, accessible, but also to come back to what you kept that what you said, respect, like there has to be some level of intangibility, but tangible, you know, because because yeah. she should be on a pedestal. She's Incredible. Right. That's why she's on the cover of Vogue. Yeah. And I, I could also have put her in her sneakers on a pedestal. <laughs> right. And I also have to say, you know, in the culture of COVID, I think we've seen some of our most amazing, you know, photography. Like if you look at what other, you know, books have done, whether it's Rolling Stone or GQ, um, Elle, uh, Marie Claire, I mean, the September issues this year, I thought were beautiful stunning i was pretty proud of our our women's day cover too just saying yeah, my, my cookies were on yeah. point <laughs> even, i've even seen better shots on instagram than that cover to be I honest mean, people are shooting by iphone and doing yeah. incredible work you know i i just don't know that COVID is an excuse right like when you look at these sets that are happening whether it's photography or filming they're moving ahead and they're doing all kinds of shoots right um from hollywood to fashion world you know when you think about how you can be very safe on a set when it comes to testing everybody, wearing masks, socially distancing. I think it can be done. So I like Connie Nass, listen, Vogue, they have, they're so incredibly resourced and I'm sure they have a whole workaround and, and operations around how to shoot safely in COVID. So I just can't, I don't know that that was an excuse. And also like, I, I don't know. Vogue also has come out, I don't know if you guys saw, they released a statement yesterday kind of defending the cover, you know, um, and they were saying that they felt like they wanted to, you know, honor who she, you know, honor her style. And I just felt like it was a big excuse. Um, I, you know, I don't think they cop to like, listen, you disappointed a whole, you know, heap of women yeah. <laughs> across race, across, you know, even across gender, right? Some men were disappointed, were airing their grievances. The whole civilization. <laughs> yeah, everyone, Americans, you know, are disappointed, right? <laughs> 
Um, Vogue watchers, Vogue readers, uh, pe- lovers of, of magazines and lovers of fashion were disappointed. And I just kind of thought that they their statement defending it just, you know, was out of touch. It's the fall of Anna. I have to say she is disappointing. Look, I think we can all like have this collective disappointment. It obviously doesn't detract from the woman or the moment. So I guess like at the end of the day, like let's maybe just shift our eyes up to the horizon of what's next and just keep our eye on the prize. She's going to get more covers. I, I can't wait to see what Harper's does with her or Vanity Fair, you know, even the New York Times Magazine, WSJ, like they're going to be more covers. Absolutely. Can't wait to see them. More will be revealed. This is, there's a lot of good things that will be coming this month and beyond. So let's just all sit tight for that. It's got to go up. It's got to go up. Well, it's like nowhere to go but up. Speaking of good things, I'm going to just shift the combo for a second to our sweat this segment, because I just want to, I have to touch on this. We have one of our favorite products on uh, as our sweat this this week. And I think all of us have used this product independently on our own, like for a long time. And we're so excited to have them as a partner of off the gram this month. So Navitas is a line of superfood products that each of us have used in different forms for years. For 17 years, they have thrived on bringing you the highest quality superfoods from across the globe and continue to innovate ways to support you and your health journey. So personally, guys, I've always always used their superfood powders. I like their matcha, their green superfood blends. I used to use all their baked good stuff, like stuff like they have cacao nibs and cacao powder. They have hemp seeds. They've got all the good. So our closet has always been filled with this stuff. But I know they they just sent us each a really big box of goodies that we've all been loving. And it's all around their immune boosting stuff. So as you guys can all imagine, like immune boosting, it's the hottest search term on the internet this, this year uh, and for good reason. So I'm very glad that they are making immune boosting um, very easy and accessible for the whole family. So my favorites out of the box, I'm just going to like tell you guys my favorites and what I did with them. Okay. So first of all, we had the elderberry power powder. So Megan, I saw you did a, a reel with your, like, what was that? The immunity shots. I do. I do fire tonic shots. I, when I take elderberry, I just assume I am boosting my immunity and I, I'm like, can't get enough. Yes, yeah. I put it in my soda stream. Oh, you did? Oh, I just carbonate it and I put the elderberry in. <gasps> Wait, I love that. So, Okay, that's amazing because so Heidi used to have like a, a like a low key <laughs> secret soda addiction. It was like her guilty vice of life. She's like so Geneva. Heidi's like this green, clean, toxic free uh, vegan yogi who drinks soda, like closet soda drinker. Diet, of course. It's my so- only vice. <laughs> it's her only vice. So I'm very glad to hear that you're doing elderberry powder in your your soda stream. That's rad. And Maybe then this is I- making me healthy. Yes. And then I'm really obsessed with the superfood and immunity blend. So that is like a vitamin C explosion. Basically it's made with camu, orange, and acerola cherry. I think those are like the only three ingredients. Those are like three of nature's most abundant sources of naturally occurring vitamin C. So I did a smoothie. I put this on my stories. I did like a smoothie for my fam. Well, I did a smoothie for me actually. I made a smoothie for myself with like banana and then the orange um, superfood powder and a few other things like some vanilla extract, et cetera. And then I literally got to drink none of it because my kids drank the entire thing. But I'm not mad because it gives you 550% of your daily vitamin C boost. And like that's, they need it too, I guess. I guess my kids can stay healthy. That's fine. (laughs) Selfish. 
but yeah, it's amazing. And like I said, they have the cacao powder, which is like one of their like staple. Everybody knows them for the cacao powder. It's, it's so like, good. Yeah, it's really, really good. People, it's like a very easy, healthy swap out for recipes that called for unsweetened cocoa powder. So we just really love everything about Navitas. We love their brand philosophy. They're very committed to like creating a healthier world through regenerative organic farming and, and plant forward lifestyles. So everything they do is is totally on brand with us. And, and we're a big, we give them a big old off the gram thumbs up. If you go to, they actually give us a landing page, navitasorganics.com slash off the gram you can get 30% off of your entire order. So there's also a code OTG30 at checkout. All right, Christine, take it away, girl. Hey guys, Christine here. So today's show is about perspective. Geneva is not only one of our girl crushes for being the ultimate boss babe, but she delivers the kind of message that we all need to hear right now. We've all watched in horror as 2020 dragged on, and it seemed like just when we thought issues around race and social inequality couldn't get worse... Boom. We've all had our eye on Geneva and her powerful message for a while now, especially her unique ability to reframe things to focus on the positive, including always searching for that teaching moment. As we continue to watch the madness unfold in real time, we are all collectively searching for the lessons. And today we wanted to have some real talk and girl chat with Geneva to help us move forward together. No matter where you sit culturally, socially, politically, and beyond, every single one of us should be asking, how can we do the hard work to pull this all back together and to leave it better than it was before? So, Geneva, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today on such a special day. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, we are so excited. So, Geneva, this is Jamie. Um, I want to start with the first question. I kind of just really want to start at the beginning for a minute. So, you've obviously had such an incredible career in media. And I do want to start there. You know, we have an audience who's really curious and hungry to kind of manifest their dreams and grab life by the, you know what, right? <laughs> so can you kind of start by giving us a, a bird's eye view of what you do? And let's just talk like, we, we just want to kind of start off and talk entrepreneurial life hacks, professional wellness, and like some of your boss babe tips. Thank you. Thank you. Well, what I do um, currently, I am the GM of Entertainment Weekly and the people of Espanol at the Meredith Corporation. Um, and Meredith, as some of you may know, is the largest publisher in the world. Um, we have InStyle, we have People Magazine, we have Food and Wine, we have Travel and Leisure, you name it. Shape, um, real simple. <laughs> yes, shape, real simple, one of my all-time favorites. Um, And what I do ultimately for media entities and particularly for digital businesses is help to really scale the brand. How are we driving more revenue? How are we vision proofing for the future? How are we thinking about our user and how can we deepen engagement and loyalty with that user? Um, How are we, you know, future proofing around the business, you know, beyond ad sales? How are we thinking about diversifying our monetization sources? Um, So it is a very business strategy driven role. Um, I actually got I started my career on an editorial side. Um, so I came out of NYU's um, J School, um, the master's program, um, and, and really had dreams of becoming a sassy, badass editor-in-chief, you know? Um, like I Megan. On mag- <laughs> <laughs> like Megan. I grew up on magazines, you know? I was the kid who, you know, devoured uh, Harper's and W and Essence and you know, Honey Magazine and Trace and all of those incredible books um, that were so, such forces, right, in the 90s. Um, And I was the kind of girl who would, you know, read every feature from, you know, 
from cover, you know, from the beginning to the end. And I also was like really into like who the, these writers were. And, you know, this is before social media. So you really had to do research on knowing who these people were. I actually did my senior thesis in undergrad on the history of Essence Magazine um, from 1970 to 2005. Um, and so I'm just like a magazine nerd. I'm a media nerd, always have been incredibly fascinated and really energized by pop culture, by fashion culture, um, you know, movies like, you know, Never Wears Prada was like, oh, wow, this is like, I know this is what I really want to do, you know? Um, and, you know, got into the industry really where it was a radical change, where, you know, things were going fast ahead digital, right? It was like, if you weren't talking about a blog or you weren't talking about social media, you know, social media was in its infancy, you know, it was really just, you know, Facebook was the more dominant platform and Twitter was sort of, you know, very new. People were figuring out how to tweet, how to be cool on Twitter, right? How to build your following on Twitter. And, you know, I, I, there was really no, no really opportunities in the, on the print side of the business. Like I came out of NYU in 2009 where, you know, there was a lots of, you know, volatility in the business. Um, lots of, you know, closures and, you know, you know, the revenues just weren't doing well. So I came into the industry where it was like, you know, you really had to find your voice on this magical internet world and, and particularly on social media. And so I started writing for this magazine called Clutch. Um, and Clutch magazine was kind of build the sort of millennial version of Essence. It was for women of color. And we explored topics like sex, dating, politics, race and gender. Very smart, you know, content, very thoughtful. I started off as a contributor and ended up becoming one of the managing editors there. And that gave me so much exposure from there. My writing appeared in everything from Forbes to Fox News to NBC News um, to AOL. I got an opportunity to write, you know, at all those publications. And and it really kicked off my career and helped me to find my voice. Um, and then, you know, I ended up at Ebony Magazine as a style and pop culture editor, um, which was at a really important time in Ebony Magazine's history because they were really launching digital for the first time ever with like a really intentional investment. Um, and so I became the inaugural um, style and pop culture editor for Ebony.com, um, worked under the legendary Karen Amayo, who was the founder of Honey Magazine, um, got a chance to work with Amy Dubois Barnett, who was one of the first uh, EICs of Teen People magazine, like these are like legends who I studied, um, you know, as a kid um, and got a chance to really work shoulder to shoulder with those women. And, um, you know, I had a great time at Ebony. Working at Ebony, I mean, you know, there is no more, there's not another iconic magazine when you think about black culture. It was started, you know, pre, you know, sort of early before Jim Crow area, like in the 1940s um, by the legendary John H. Johnson. Um, and it was like, you know, the black community's answer to Life magazine that rarely would feature um, black people. And so it was like, this is a place where you're gonna see black faces, black lifestyle, black culture. And so that was just like, you know, I deeply felt the significance and the power of walking in those halls and working at that magazine. And from there, um, after Ebony, I took a very intentional pivot to the business side. And, and I'll tell you why. Um, a lot of people would say, do you miss being an editor? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> Um, I, I really, you know, was so empowered at Ebony. Um, and, you know, so I had a background before I got to Ebony. I spent time on the brand side working at Topshop and marketing. I spent time at Publicis, which is one of the biggest advertising agencies in the world. So I kind of had this sort of like circumference of experience in, in media on the agency side, on the brand side. And so at Ebony, I was really empowered to sit in those ad sales meetings, sit in those marketing meetings, sit in those strategy meetings. And so by the time I got 
you know, a chance to really grow after Ebony, I was like, you know what? I think I'm really more excited by the business side of media. And I ended up at BBC America um, overseeing social media. I was a team of one. This was like before companies really took social media seriously, right? So they didn't really give us an operating budget, no headcount budget. I was like a team of one. And this was at a time where BBC America was really trying to really build their programming slate in America for the first time. Um, and so they had the office on Sixth Avenue in the Hypertrone building. And I spent a few months there as a consultant helping them on social media strategy and from there I never turned back and I had since as you guys mentioned earlier uh, Christine uh, at Viacom and uh, Macy's and um, I got full into the world of, of really digital strategy in the publishing space so that's kind of what my journey has been like quite a journey speaking of boss girl tips and I love boss girl tips and it's what drives me every day you know you know, for me, I just think that I have just made it, you know, a very intentional thing not to give up, you know, and I've made an intentional thing of just like I, you know, defining what success looks like to me. And, and that's being able to wake up every day and really be energized by what you're going to do for the rest of the day. You know, I love media. I love pop culture. I love, you know, the intersection of music and film. Um, you know, how are we sitting at the front lines of global culture and shaping that and pushing that forward? That is what I love to do. That's what I feel driven by. Um, I'm such a Greg Arias kind of person. So I feed off of energy of working with teams and, and, and creative, you know, brainstorming, building out strategy and road mapping. I, I, I am certainly where I belong, you know? Um, and, you know, to any young woman out there who might be listening and, and, and maybe saying to herself, well, how do I get my start and what do I do? Breaking into media has to be one of the most, you know, competitive places to be. I actually read a statistic, but I don't even know the accuracy of this, but it sounds about right. It said that it's easier to get into the NBA than it is to get into fashion media or entertainment media in New York. And like to get an actual job, right? Like as an editor or on the business side. And I believe that. I believe that to be true um, because it's so competitive and it's so hard to break in. But, you know, what I have found is that it's about relationship building, not networking, but relationships, you know, find those people, find your tribe. And it's not to be talking about identifying this like powerful woman who can be your mentor. I feel like at the end of the day, I have gotten more love and support and sponsorship from my peers. You know, it's my friend who started off with me in the industry, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It's my friend who, you know, I was on that one internship with, you know, like I find that your peers, when, you know, those are people who are going to be sitting with you 20 years from now, while your mentors might be retiring and moving to Connecticut, you know? Um, so I think that, you know, building um, your tribe, building your council, building your girl boss crew, um, and leaning on each other and, and making a very intentional plan. The power of the written word um, is we, we know that we know the power of intention. We know the power of manifestation. But the written word above everything to me is the most sacred uh, and, and just powerful thing that you can do. And I have always just kind of made it a habit, I think, just off of what my mom taught me of journaling. Um, and just writing down things. And, you know, I have written my way to where I am. And it's been a part of, you know, my intention setting for myself, legacy building for myself. What do I want? How do I want to feel about my work? How do I want to feel about my day? Um, how do I want to wake up? How do I want to go to bed? You know, I look at feeling powered by not necessarily what I do, but how I feel. 
Um, how do I want to feel when I walk into this office with these people, into this conference with these people? How do I want to feel? Um, and, and, and sticking to that. And when it doesn't feel good, that's when it's time to pivot. That's when it's time to maybe make a transition. Um, and so that's what's really driven me is, you know, my mother who, you know, my mom passed about a year ago. Um, and that completely radicalized my world. She passed suddenly. Um, and, you know, I know that it's my mother's dreams, my, my mother's sacrifices that powers every step that I take. Um, and broadly, my ancestors who, brought, who, who power every step I take and who, are, who walk with me every day. Um, I, I do everything I do for them. Um, I do it for, you know, the people who are coming behind me. I truly believe in lifting as we climb. Um, it's women, it's black women who have empowered me, who have looked out for me um, to be where I am. And so I feel a deep sense of responsibility um, of, of representing in a, in a strong way and, and of doing my best work um, and, and just in staying empowered um, and clear about my vision, about my legacy because of them. It's no surprise that an analysis of Google Trends showed the term immune boost as one of the most heavily searched in 2020. In fact, from April to May alone, the hashtag immune booster increased on the gram by over 46%. No surprise there. Beyond the obvious reasons, 55% of Americans say they experience stress most of the day and 35% claim they don't get enough sleep. All this and more can lead to us feeling run down and becoming more susceptible during cold and flu season. Uh, thank goodness for Navitas, one of our favorite wellness brands. They have a large portfolio of immune boosting products. In particular, their recently launched superfood and immunity blend with just three ingredients, camu, orange, and acerola cherry, and their elderberry powder. Christine, don't you swear by this stuff? Um, yes, I literally start every morning with a boost of it in my smoothie. They actually have recipes on the back of the pack for smoothies, elderberry tea, and an immunity fire tonic. Ooh, sounds spicy and healthy. We love Navitas and we know you will too. Want to pick some up just in time for sniffle season? Use the code OTG30 at NavitasOrganics.com for 30% off any product. New Year's might be over, but we've still got a lot to celebrate. Hello, this is our show's one year anniversary month. Woohoo, go us. So what better time to raise a glass than now? But here's the thing. Some of us don't drink. Uh, that would be me. And all of us are obviously wellness fanatics. So alcohol is not always what we want. But who doesn't love to celebrate with a little bubbly? Cheers to that, James. That's why at Off The Gram, we are loving Groovy, a line of craft, alcohol-free beers and wines. Christine, I know you are loving the bubbly rosé on New Year's, right? Totally. It was a toss-up between that and the dry secco. Both were such fun options and allowed me to wake up clear-headed for a Central Park run the next morning. What a treat, right? Groovy also has a diverse selection of alcohol-free beers, including an IPA, a German sour, a pale ale, and a dark brew stout. Oh, and one more very cool thing. They have a dry January wellness box available on their site through the rest of the month, which includes all sorts of self-care goodies to kick off the new year. But if you want one, get it fast because they're a limited edition. And if you are doing dry January, be sure to check them out on Instagram at getgroovy for fun tips and recipes. That's at G-E-T-G-R-U-V-I. To learn more about Groovy or purchase online, visit getgroovy.com and use the code OFFTHEGRAM15 at checkout for 15% off. 
adding to that, you in the Forbes article when you were talking about your start in digital media, you mentioned that there were few women of color in the digital audience development. So what would you say, and it's still evolving and it's still fairly new. So what would you say to them looking up to you? And, uh, you know, is it such a niche right now? It's growing. It's the industry that you said a lot of people come from editorial. What kind of specific little tips could you give them? You know, um, that's a great question. It, it, it continues to be today uh, a field where you don't see a lot of people of color, certainly not a lot of women. Um, you know, I, I think it's just read, read, study everything. You know, so many, you know, Gen Xers or millennials are so inherently good at social media, um, but learning the other platforms, you know, think about you know, what does, I mean, I don't want to sound like a nerd and say, oh, what does engagement acquisition look like? You know, I'm such a nerd. I just got out of a meeting. So I'm thinking about working that way. But, you know, I think that culture, right? Culture, content, storytelling, that's what this is all about, right? That's what this industry is all about. You know, we can talk about revenue. We talk about business. We talk about sales, but we are all engaged and, and showing up because we care about what's happening in the culture and in the world, what moves us, um, what gives us, you know, what makes us feel good or uh, who we who we hope to be, right? That is really at the end of the day what this business is about. And I think that if you truly feel energized about storytelling or any kind of content, whether it's tech content, food content, fashion content, beauty, whatever, um, understanding the nuts and bolts of that. You know, I think that really what has been such a great superpower for me is that I have worked on almost every side of this business. You know, I've been on the agency side, I've been on the brand side, I've been on the media side. Um, and, and having that sort of panoramic experience has really made me such a, you know, distinguishable asset as I walk into these companies, you know, understanding every part of the business. I think it's just going to take someone who's going to really study you know, read the trades. I hate to sound like an old school person, but, you know, check out Digiday, check out Adweek, know who the players are, you know, know what the moves are. You know, we are in the streaming culture where, you know, between HBO, Max, Amazon, Netflix, right? We're seeing major, powerful, like super big box office films released straight to streamers. This is such an incredible uh, turning point and demarcation for us. Of course, that's driven by COVID, but that's going to inform a whole behavior for people going forward, right? You know, that that in itself is something to study, to look at this moment in time and understand the impact of that, because 20 years from now, that's going to be the way of life. You know, not to say that I hope movie theaters don't close, because I love movie theaters so much, but, you know, when we're thinking about content and entertainment and storytelling, we're in such an exciting time right now. And I think COVID has opened up our creativity and our innovation more than ever. Um, I say all that to say for someone who's interested in the business, you know, studying that, understanding the causal factors of that, um, looking at that, shipping that down, unpacking that. It, it's going to take you being a little surgical, right? And, 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 and really, you know, getting into the nuts and bolts of, 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 of these decisions, of these turning points in our culture. Um, you know, it, it's because it's not easy, you know, to stay in this business and media, as you guys can attest to, is, is so volatile, right? There's always so many ups and downs. There's been so many radical changes in the past 15, 20 years alone, right? And the next 15, 20 years ahead of us, 
those people who are going to be playing in that game, um, you know, whether we're talking about the talent side, the business side, the editorial side, it's going to be people who who were, you know, thinking ahead of the tipping point, right? And, and that's just what it's going to take, you know? Um, I hate to sound, make it sound like it's super, super hard. It's not. But I think it's really about, you know, really inherently being driven by your passion and what you love. Because when you love something, you want to know it, right? Now, Geneva, you started this big, giant job in December, correct? Right? Yes. Yeah. I'm like literally 30 days in. <laughs> so like you're doing the job from your kitchen, it looks like, right? Like how has COVID changed things for you? And what have been some of the silver linings from a work perspective? Oh my God, working from home, you know. <laughs> and you I, are in Weehawken, New Jersey. Is that true, right? Because yes, if it's New Jersey, I got to go, woo, woo. Yes, yes. I'm in um, Port Imperial, which is right off the waterfront. I, With a I, pool. Yes, it's a lovely, lovely area. Um, I see, you know, Midtown and the Empire State Building from my kitchen. It's a beautiful view. Um, and that's why I love this area so much. It's so peaceful. So I'm really blessed to be able to work from home. Um, you know, we have to remember that there are people who are getting out there working every day, right? People who are in those frontline level jobs, whether it's nursing or janitorial work, some people are actually getting out there and exposed and working every day. So I feel very blessed and grateful to be able to work from my kitchen. Um, you know, it's certainly different, right? Like I've had to rethink my apartment sort of interiors. Like I have an open concept home where it's just like a full layout. And I'm like, I, I, I have to really think more carefully about this work from home life from a you know, design perspective and from a comfort perspective, like I usually just pull up to my kitchen island. I'm like, I think need to do something different because when you're working from long stretches of time, you're talking about like 10, 12 hours a day, you know, EW is based in LA. So sometimes my meetings can go into like seven, eight o'clock at night. I have to really think about what's going to be comfortable, but also what's going to be in alignment with, you know, the sort of decor that I've established for myself in my place. But working from home, it, it's very, uh, it's, it's, it's not always easy, right? You know, you're getting ready for a Zoom call or a WebEx. You got to make sure your camera's on. You got to be, you know, engaged. You got to be, you know, you got CNN in the background talking about the end of the world, right? And you're trying to stay focused on what's happening on your computer. It, it does take a certain level of focus. Um, and, and also just keeping your team energized and engaged, right? It's easy to kind of get distracted. Um, so it is a very interesting uh, culture working from home. <laughs> I was, this is Heidi. I was just with a client and they were trying to get a designer to redo something in their home and they haven't left their home since March. And they were just saying how like every designer is so booked because of all the people working from home who want to make it make sense. Just like you just said, Geneva. I mean, we're spending so much time here. You got to love it. Absolutely. And I just want to hit on that how much, because when I was, you know, stalking you on the web uh, to, to prep for this, I was so, so taken aback by how much you give back and how amazing that was. And I saw that for Black Women Equal Pay Day, you offered up your very precious time and experience in the form of free one-on-one -on -one training to five supremely lucky young ladies. And I just want to take a moment to recognize that and thank you for that. Thank you. It's oh, Thank you. Because not, I mean, not only did these five women get to, you know, severely benefit from all that you give, it, it, it sets an example for everyone else. And just wanted to say thank you for that. And thank how, you. how, 
would you, I mean, I think you've answered my original question was like how, you know, what advice would you give to these young women who weren't your lucky five chosen ones, you know, determined young black women to help them persevere to the top and rise to the top. I, I know you've answered that a lot, but is there anything specifically relating to equal pay? Anything that you would say to women listening to this that you could help them, you know, in their meetings, negotiating salary or knowing their worth? Would you write something down to understand your worth before you walked into the room, just based on what you've said so far? Thank you, Heidi. Great question. And and thank you for recognizing that. Um, That was such an intuitive decision for me because I, you know, we, you know, we come up on Women's Equal Pay Day every year or Black Women's Equal Pay Day or Latina Equal Pay Day, right? And there's all this content and, and all the social media posts about fighting for equity. But, you know, where's the pragmatism in the conversation? I said to myself, well, how are we going to ask for equal pay? We don't even know how to negotiate a salary. We don't even know how to have a conversation. And I thought of so many times that I've either underestimated my value or didn't know how to articulate my value. And I left a lot of money on the table, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I said to myself, well, I, I, I've learned so much around negotiation and around value setting and research that I want to share to other women. And I, like I said, I just, you know, opened up my DMs and said, Hey, the first five people holler at me, we can do this and we can do this one-on-one. And I was able to really help a lot of women. Um, You know, I actually took on more than five, but I, I would say, you know, salary negotiation. I just came out of a big negotiation, obviously for this role. And, you know, it takes a lot of research, that's the number one thing I would say. You have to you have to know where you are in market. You're, the market is going to be driven and informed by where you are located, what you do, what industry you're in. You know, like if you do what I do for Apple, it's not the same market rate of what you do for the media side, right? You know, knowing where you stand in market, knowing how the market is doing, um, knowing the trends, you got to do that research. And there's so many tools out there, salary.com, um, Glassdoor, LinkedIn itself has a tool where you can plug in, you know, how many years of experience you have, you know, what industry you're in and where your title is at. And they will give you a sort of, you know, framework and a benchmark of where you should be and what you should be expecting to hear from these companies. Um, There's so many little tips that I can share down from, you know, what I've learned recruiters are doing on these calls is they'll ask you for a number. And it's a, it's a weeding out tool, right? They want to weed you out possibly because they have so many applicants, right? And we're in it. We're not only in a, a pandemic, we're in a national recession right now, right? Which is driven by COVID. Um, but there's so many, you know, people looking for work right now. And so your average job posting is seeing like loads and loads of applicants, even people who may not even be qualified for that job. But for those people who are qualified, by the time you make it to the re- recruiter stage, of having that first call, recruiters are figuring out how can I weed this person out? You know, particularly if they're not, maybe even if they are impressed by you, they wanna, they, they don't wanna pay too much. Companies are also stressed revenue-wise by COVID. So the first thing the recruiter's gonna say is, well, how much, you know, are you thinking? You know, where are you right now? And that is the most fatal thing that you can do is to give them a number. Um, you should, redirect the conversation or say to them, well, I'd be curious to know what you all have allotted for this role because every company has a P&L, which is called a profit and loss. You know, they are looking at, you know, 
quarter over quarter, what they can afford, what they can allot for headcount and for roles based on the department, based on the organization within the company. And they have a budget, okay? <laughs> Whether they want to let you know or not, they have a budget, they have a number, they have a range in mind. And the worst thing you could do is give them a number because if you're way below that or way over that, they're going to say, uh, I don't know. And you might get weeded out. And so, you know, it's, an, it's a quick way to undervalue yourself or to seem not so buttoned up. So I've learned to redirect those conversations and, and, and throw that ball back to them and say, well, you tell me, you know, what you're thinking for this role. And then take the conversation from there, you know, um, and thinking beyond just your base, right? Thinking beyond just what you want to take home every two weeks. Think about what other kind of things you want the company to do for you. You know, how can they invest in you, your continued education, um, your benefits, you know, your perks, um, you know, even if you're more junior, if you're at manager or senior manager level, you know, you can negotiate. You have powers to negotiate. I think that some people don't think about negotiations until they get to the executive level, but no, 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 no. You can negotiate as an assistant, you know, and so thinking about the things that you want and that you need to feel empowered and invested in that company beyond just what they take, what you're taking home every two weeks. Um, so those are just, I can go on and on as you guys can see, it's such a passion for me, but um, anyone who wants to learn more, talk more, explore more, please just contact me on Instagram or my website. I'm happy to help because it's a lot of tips and, and just tactical things that we don't get taught as women, right? Like money has always been the man's conversation, right? Driven by patriarchy. Women have not been in the driving seat of those conversations, but we know that's not true. Women are the decision makers when it comes to the households, even if they do have husbands, right? Um, or partners, they are the decision makers. And so we should feel empowered to talk about money um, and we shouldn't feel uncomfortable by it. And, and the first thing that we, when we talk about salary, you know, it's uncomfortable because we're not used to talking about money at all as women. So um, yes, very passionate as you guys could see, but totally open to uh, exploring this more with anyone who wants help. Amazing. We should do a whole episode on that. I was just going to say that. Yeah. No, it's such wonderful advice. And I love to hear women that love to mentor other women because I really look at it as like a, an inspiration boomerang. You know, I've always said, um, you know, we can only keep what we have by giving it away. And, and the more that right. we do, the more it comes back to us. And I'm, I know that we're all such proponents of mentorship, you know, um, because it all comes back, you know, helping others helps you. And when the hand of somebody below you reaches out, you know, you, you should always be there to take it. You know, it's funny. We interviewed Carson Cressley the other day and he was saying like, he was talking about how he went into like a meeting with like, I don't know, some network. And the person that was sitting in the chair was like, Oh, uh, he was like, you look familiar. He's like, yeah, I used to be your intern. I run the network now. And he was like, Oh, cool. But how <laughs> often does that happen? Right. Uh, that, you know, your peers or your juniors become your colleagues or the people that you have to answer to down the line. So it is all about that relationship building and management. Um, as, as we move through our careers and it's, it's wonderful advice. Um, and actually, can I just say, I got to say, cause you sparked something in my brain, Geneva, like, I love that you said it's not just at the executive level. I was actually, when I moved to Pennsylvania, because I live in Pennsylvania now, I was um, interviewing nannies for my children. And mm -hmm. one of the nannies who interviewed with me, um, typically we just have a, we have discussions about weekly salaries. That's what I've always discussed with my nannies in the past. And perhaps of course, vacation, sick days and bonuses. Um, but this nanny came to me with a whole host of other asks. 
And she was willing to take a little less money weekly, but she was asking for me to invest in her professional development and a couple of other things like that. And let me tell you something. I ended up paying her a little more than I had originally intended because I was so impressed with her negotiation skills. Not only did it, did I not look, you know, was I not irritated that she asked me for more money? I was, I respected her so much for being able to stand up for herself that I told my husband, this is the woman I want to, I want to hire because I want somebody who knows her worth and who has confidence in charge of our children. And it's just, I think it's a great, uh, uh, you know, a great thing to, to notice. Also, Heidi wanting to chime in here. I also just had to um, find a new nanny for my family and a lot of the advice was like, well, it's COVID. There's like 50 nannies a day going on all the mom boards and you can pay so much less and blah, 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 blah. And I found the right person and I asked her what she wanted and I gave it to her. And you know why? I didn't bargain her. I didn't want to because I want the person who's taking care, like any person who I'm working with to feel valued because Mm -hmm. you will at the best work by allowing everyone around you to feel bolstered and valued. And I think it's really important to know that people on, look, I'm terrible at asking for salaries or money or whatever, but I'm always happy and thrilled to give what people think they are worth because you will always get, you know, it's always better for everyone. So like nickel and diming, it's not the right job for you, I think, but if you can ask for your worth, that's the right place for you. So before we wrap up, can I just ask one fun thing? Cause you were on the Bravo series, blood, sweat, and heels. Mm-hmm. Like what were the pros and cons of being on reality TV? Would you do it again? Was it a fabulous experience? Well, it was absolutely a fabulous experience. You know, shooting a TV show is probably one of the most exciting, fun things that I've ever done. It, it, the production of it, is is super fun you know it can be like a sisterhood and you're you know how the bravo shows are you're going out to eat and you're going to you know drink and it's just like fun you know um i you know would i do it again probably not (laughs) (laughs) that's probably a hard no you know (laughs) you know Having the experience was was fun. It was uh, life shifting for me. It was empowering. It was in some ways very disappointing and even tragic. Right, one of my cast members passed away of cancer very suddenly. Um, you know, it it it, it was um, I think an experience that I had to go through um, to, to to teach me so much about my own power. Um, And, um, you know, I wouldn't do it again because I don't know that I can release my representation and my, my narrative to someone else for them to do what they want to do with it without my direction. And inherently when you are talent, right? Um, and you're not in the EP position, executive producer position, or even, you know, an editor position or a cameraman position, even you are not in control of that. Right. Um, and, and that's not even just unique to reality. That's any type of content, you know, scripted, um, anything really, but particularly, yeah. yeah, hello, even, even, even for, you know, particularly for non-scripted content, um, you know, like reality series, you know, you're just not, you're a character. Yeah. You, and, yeah. Absolutely. And they added it to create a story. 
Oh yeah, I mean it's it's incredibly the most far thing from actual reality. Um, you know, in order to engineer a product that you can put before audiences every week, that's going to keep them engaged for ten to twelve, even twenty weeks at a time. You know, shows like Housewives of Atlanta, Housewives of Dallas, or Beverly Hills, those series are going for like you know, they're like 20, 30 episodes a season. How do you keep someone engaged and, and, and returning every week? And they could be doing a million things, especially in this COVID culture where we're over sort of, you know, served with content. How do you keep someone engaged? Well, you've got to make that interesting. You've got to show conflict. You got to show a lot of stuff. And it's also a product that they're taking out in market and they're monetizing in front of advertisers, right? So how do you get top dollar for programming? Well, it's because of your ratings. And so any piece of content that I'm involved with that is really designed to monetize, but it's not in design to necessarily empower me or, you know, invest in me or make me feel uh, good or make the people around me feel good. It's, that's not really the intent of any type of content that we see on TV for the talent. It's not. It's, it's to make money. Networks are here to make money, and I can tell you that as a media executive. And so for me, it's a hard no. Uh, but I do think that for someone else, you know, um, we know that these 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 shows are queen makers. They're king makers. Look at people like Bethany Frankel or you know Lisa Vanderpump. These are moguls. These women, Nene Leakes. She's a mogul. Candy Burris is a mogul. These people have built massive fortunes and empires and, and, and businesses for themselves out of the power of reality TV. For me to become, you know, a, a, a lifelong or, you know, decade long reality star, a TV personality, that wasn't in the cards for me. And I was very intentional and explicit about that. Um, the show, you know, a lot of people love the show, though. You know, and so I do respect the fact that people still come up to me you know, in the rare occasions you see me in the street in the COVID days, right? <laughs> but, you know, people still come up to me at the supermarket. People still come up to me on Instagram, you know, in my DMs or, or in my comments, like, I loved that show. I missed you on the show. Is the show ever coming back? And I'm like, probably not. But, you know, it's, it, 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 it shows that there was, you know, during 2015, sorry, 2013, 2014, there, this is like literally kind of right before Olivia Pope came out and before, you know, Scandal, right? Or being Mary Jane on BET, seeing these black female herons on TV who were in charge of their careers, making power moves, the sort of sex in the city for black women, but also women who were going out for their dreams. We didn't see that on TV then. You know, we didn't see that kind of content for Black women. And so the show was so incredibly um, timely and resonant for Black women in America because they were like, wow, there's a Black brown girl who looks like me who's in New York and going out for her dreams. And she's working at all these really cool companies and she's creating her own website. Or, and she's got wow. great shoes. <laughs> and she's got great, powerful shoes. And, they're and she's crushing it. Yeah, you know, it. it these girls, you know, were so incredibly energized and empowered by that alone that they still crave it to this day. And so it's, you know, Black women, unfortunately, when it comes to great content and seeing themselves, we're underserved. And we can, even in 2020, right, we have so much more content out there. But, you know, when you're just, there's a legacy of you not being able to see yourself, 
you feel underserved. You feel parched for, you know, someone who looks like you and are doing aspirational things. And so I totally respect the, the legacy of the show that we had out of just merely two seasons. And I still love Bravo. I'm such a Bravo-holic. I watch Potomac and Dallas all the time. I'm like <laughs> obsessed with Andy and, you know, I love the network, but, um, you know, in front of the camera work for me, if I were to return to a talent capacity, it would be, you know, doing something like this, you know, it would be um, where I get to comment about culture and, you know, politics and issues that matter to us, um, not necessarily, you know, who I'm dating and, you know, who I'm in conflict with. So, I would love um, to see a show like that where you, someone like what you were, I mean, we could talk about this for hours, but where you're trying to tell young women and educate them, I'm sure that would get ratings because there are so many girls looking for guidance like this. Yeah. Maybe you should go to Bravo and tell them you have an idea. Listen, let me call Andy up. Let's see what he says. Yeah, exactly. I just want to know who you're dating. Throwing, <laughs> throwing drinks in each other's face, unfortunately. That's what gets ratings. But you know what? I, I, I can't change culture, but uh, there is a place for you to do it. You are sharp and, and we are inspired by you. And I'm so glad we got to talk to you today. You are incredible. And we can't wait for more things to come from you. Um, where can people find you on social? I am at Geneva S. Thomas everywhere. Um, not so active on TikTok yet, but that's in the cards for me. Well, I want to see you doing the TikTok dance. <laughs> I want you like, yeah. I tried to do one once. I, it was the first and last time. Um, it was not, not for me. Um, well, thank you so much. Really such a, an awesome, inspiring conversation and an inspiring month. I think just there's a lot of, there's electricity in the air and we're just excited to be a part of this moment in history as things are taking a turn for the better. So yay, America. All right, cool. So we always end our podcast with two quick little things. Are you ready for the first one? It is a lightning round. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Three Uh questions questions for you. Number one, morning or evening workout? Listen, I'll take what I can get these days, right? Gym or clothes? Listen, um, I would say morning. Yeah. Get your day started better. It makes you more energized. Yep. Agreed. Uh, what is your favorite workout? You know what? I, I'm a yoga girl. I love you know, yoga. Anything that's like, you know, floor exercise where I get to breathe and feel super, you know, aligned, uh, either yoga or dancing, just put on some Beyonce and let me just lose some calories. <laughs> love it. Um, and last one, coffee, tea, or matcha. Ooh, I'm going to have to say coffee. I need some caffeine. I do. No lie. Agree. And this is Heidi. And our very last thing is called Karmaka. So Megan says it way better, but karma (laughs) is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our amazing guests, what is one small actionable item that you could give to our listeners that they could practice for like a week that would Mm -hmm. yield a giant result? I love that. I love that. You know, I would, I would go back to the tip I gave earlier on intention setting by writing. Um, there's this really great book called The Artist's Way, which um, you guys know that book. It's legendary. I can't think of the artist's name, the, the author's name, but she's incredible and iconic. And it, she gives this mantra, this ritual where you just wake up every morning and you write the first thing that comes to you. Um, and I think it's just a powerful way to kind of just track where you are in your life and to be able to look back and, and measure your growth. Um, and I just do that sometimes in my iPhone. I love my, um, the notes app. 
on iPhone. It's like my favorite app. It's just like a super basic overlooked app on iPhone, but you can take notes in it. And I, you know, I do that every morning, um, it, whether it's just whatever the first thought that comes to my mind, I share it. It could be a dream that I have that I want to recount or it could be a hope or a goal that I have for myself. But writing down things, I know this is not the most, you know, innovative thing to say, but I believe in the power of the written word. I believe in the power of, you know, intention. And when you say you want something, write it down and stick to it and, 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 and look at what happens. Just watch it. I dare you to look at what God does and, and what, you know, it can, what can happen for you. Incredibly powerful. Absolutely. The power of intention. Well, thank you so much. We adore you. This was wonderful. This was amazing, ladies. You guys are so fierce. This is such a fabulous show. I can't wait to tune in. Um, And you've got a new fan, a new listener. Thank Thank you, you, Mama. Well, thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to this show everywhere podcasts are consumed so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off the Gram Podcast. We'll see you next time. Oh,